Chapter Three of A Superfluous Woman by Emma Francis Brooke. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Bruce Peary. The morning after the doctor's talk with Carteret, a servant entered his consulting room and handed him a letter. It had no postmark and had been pushed into the letter box by some person unknown nor was any one aware at what hour for the deliverer had neither rung nor knocked the doctor took it without curiosity supposing it to be one of the constantly received demands for help in illness or poverty but a certain prosperous air about the envelope a suggestion of luxury in the thick creamy paper above all the firm characteristic handwriting so expressive of culture caught his attention he opened the letter at once and found it to be one of several sheets in an unknown hand then he glanced at the signature and read to his infinite surprise the name jessamine halliday after which dr cornerstone sat down and immediately perused the contents they were as follows dear dr cornerstone before you receive this letter you will have heard the news and the news is that i have disappeared as a rule when one reads of mysterious disappearances in the papers it really means that the people appear for the first time they come to the surface labelled disappeared and then you hear of their existence one was not aware of it before and one certainly would not have missed them but everybody has heard of jessamine halliday and if like helen of troy she take it into her head to disappear it will be a true sensation one owes it to society to create an excitement sometimes all the society papers will have a leading article and people will rush to buy the photographers will make a fortune of my picture and all the men at all the clubs will say by jove even royalty will deign to raise a perturbed eyebrow but not a creature of them all will know where i am and not a creature of them all will really care tuppence but you dr cornerstone savage mentor you are not in society and perhaps you will care the least little bit in the world somehow or another i have not the heart to drop quite out of sight without nodding adieu and whispering in your ear that all is well besides in some sense you are at the bottom of this freak of mine and ought to share a little of the responsibility did you not take a great deal on your shoulders when you called me back to life the world might have been saved much mischief and i some hurt if you had let me slide away sometimes do other people feel it when i am most gay and triumphant and most admired and most charming and dear doctor am i not a charmer something stretches out toward me from an immeasurable distance it comes swift and straight from a far far place where it waits for me and it touches me on the heart and on the brow so that i grow still and afraid it seems to me as though a future unknown friend or foe steps up to this little soul jessamine who is not in the least like helen of troy scratch that out dear doctor to make a terrible claim upon her 
what am i what are we doctor we little women i mean you have answered many questions but never that the ancients said we had no souls and perhaps they were right the moderns say we care for nothing but an armchair and a good fire and a cup of tea and a novel and to have some man slaving for us or else they gird at us for our tiresome desire to be emancipated which some call immodest i think there must be truth in all this because the moderns have got all the light people tell us so many things with such an air and they write them down in print so that it is no wonder we come to believe them and to act upon them if we don't happen to have any extra force of mind that is and then people who rise to poetry say we would sell our best friend for a diamond and they give historic instances which seem to prove everything though sometimes afterward i have remembered historic instances of quite the contrary i wonder doctor if i would do so i love diamonds in those horrid moments when the unknown foe i think it must be a foe startles me i feel as though i were a falling star my heart runs down so quickly something meant to be set on high in a fixed and constant path but falling falling just anywhere and i am so frightened that i would if i could catch hold of any big virtue to save myself but you said i had no virtues only inherited tendencies though you gave me hopes of making up a few if i should exercise tremendous effort i think i have done very well in a year everybody says i am quite a genius and in full possession of all the light of the age and all i did has been reported in the society papers miss jessamine halliday has consented to take a stall at the bazaar for the distressed costermongers miss halliday insists upon the duty of plain attire and does not fall into the common error of supposing that luxurious expenditure is good for trade that was you doctor and i went up in everybody's estimation like a rocket they said it was such a stroke of genius to see that instead of putting the money into our own fancy dresses we might put it into the fund for the costermongers you see doctor that people will listen to your grim phrases from my mouth how they did stare when i stood on a platform and lectured them on general topics i looked my best they say and how everybody did applaud dear doctor i have one virtue i like you you who were so savage to me and who spoke such terrible words i like your little finger better than the whole heap of trumpery souls that form my range of acquaintances and i hate the world yes i do doctor i hate it i hate it most when the unknown foe comes and touches me i cry then real tears out of my heart if i have such a thing lord harriet and messrs so-and-so say i have not aunt arabella does not know one bit how where or why i have disappeared i owe it to her to spite her mightily all my long long life i am twenty-one 
i can remember nothing but aunt arabella's care and aunt arabella's teaching and aunt arabella's dearest jessamine and aunt arabella's deportment so that you will understand i owe her something i will tell you just the truth though it is all quite inexplicable and it is this i was as near as possible engaged to lord harriet aunt arabella said it was more than nearly that in real fact i was engaged to him and that after behaving as i had behaved no honourable girl could draw back when she says this she says what is not true like caesar i come i see i conquer but there is not a living soul dares to accuse me of so much as lifting an eyelid to attract any man ah how full of scorn my soul is sometimes when i enter a drawing-room and see a strange gentleman there i know that in five minutes he will be beseeching the hostess for an introduction to the dark lady with the jessamine in her hair dear doctor it is not my fault i think of them as if they were whipped curs and harriet i loathe dear doctor i did not forget your lessons i tried to lead a new life of simplicity and usefulness indeed i did perhaps i did not quite know the way perhaps i shall have more time to think when i have got this business of being married over and it is off my mind once and for always aunt arabella did so hate you when i got better she would not let me ask you to the house as a friend she said it was not proper and that you wore such strange boots will you give me one to keep in the glass case in my bedroom to help me to be good the boot that has walked so many miles that the wearer may do so much kindness when i got better i heard that a new beauty had arrived in london and that she was trying to catch harriet he is the biggest catch in europe you know doctor i tell you because you are not in society and so perhaps have not heard and only a real beauty so much as dares to try for him but i never tried at all and yet there he was at my feet still i own i felt curious to see the new beauty who was angling for harriet and i created a tremendous sensation by going to the duchess of s s ball in a dress made of unbleached calico and no jewels at all i did it because of you doctor and you never saw such a work of art as that dress was nor how exquisitely the dull cream colour suited me they say i never looked so lovely well i saw the new beauty there she was a large blonde thing in pink and diamonds and i never lifted even the tail of my eye to harriet i loathe him but he followed me all the evening like a dog and when i talked to any other person he would have my bouquet of jessamine to hold as for the large blonde thing i was sorry to see how she changed her colour how sick of myself i was when i got home aunt arabella said i had behaved so beautifully that my conduct was so perfectly ladylike and there came a feeling into my heart when she was speaking to me 
that i would rush out into the street in my wonderful calico dress and dance and scream and shout as i had been told the bad girls at the east end do only of course i did not i kissed aunt arabella on the cheek and went upstairs with my maid behind dear doctor i have so tried to be and to do as you said but perhaps very likely i did not quite know the way i gave all the money saved from dress there was not so much to the charity organization you said the charity organization did you not and i read mill and thoreau and i learned such quantities of browning one day i brought a crossing sweeper into the house to be warmed and fed it was in the society papers next week but aunt arabella said i must not on any account do such a thing again he made such a mess and people talked so and a small crowd collected and it upset the footmen i brought him in at the front door and made him stand his broom in the hall i chose a wet muddy day on purpose because of course it is more horrid to be a crossing sweeper on such a day than any and you said that one man was as good as another but james and thomas did not seem to think so and aunt arabella says they gave notice well as i said i loathe harriet but he took a great interest in my work and helped me dear doctor i do so hope you think it really was work and this matter of my marriage is so tiresome until it is settled and aunt arabella said i should be able to do so much more good and to be so much more useful if i were lady harriet and of course he is the biggest catch in europe i only wish there were a bigger and then the large blonde thing was still trying and she ought to know her place an american and as i have said the important thing is marriage and one must get it over one time or another and so things went on and on until one evening a fortnight ago when for once aunt arabella must have arranged it we were at home and alone and lord harriet came in to call he brought a present for me i love jewels this was really the most splendid jewel i had ever seen it was a bracelet and it was in the shape of a snake coiled several times round the eyes were two enormous diamonds and the neck and upper part glittered with alternate diamonds and sapphires and the tail ended in a wonderful sapphire i never saw such stones and such taste lord harriet unfastened the case and laid it on the table he said it was a trifling offering to the most beautiful woman in england and i stood looking down at it for though i have plenty of jewels i always want some more and just then james came in with candles of course nobody ever notices a footman but somehow on that occasion i happened to do so he brought the candelabra to the table where the case lay and i saw him glance at the jewel and i saw a little significant smile come into his eyes quite a different look from the servant look and it made me furious 
but i do not know why i think if james had not come in and worn that little smile in his eyes i might be married and done for at this moment after setting the candelabra on the table james went round the room drawing the curtains in quite the ordinary way and lord harriet went on talking in a low voice i do not know what he said for i was wondering what james meant by his odious smile and making up my mind that i would tell aunt arabella to give him notice next morning aunt arabella she is always present when lord harriet calls to see that i do not forget my manners and by my manners i mean the woman's way of being soft and sweet and smiling when she is really eaten up with fury and hate the slave's way sometimes i think doctor but then i think such out-of-the-way things and all the men tell me they are my slaves but aunt arabella she sat in a remote corner quite oblivious of us and she was sewing the eternal altar-cloth which makes every one think her so pious and lord harriet talked but i heard and knew nothing i was thinking thinking why james had that odd smile in his eye and while i thought i became aware that i was holding out my arm unconsciously and that upon the wrist lord harriet was clasping the jewel it was then that the strange mood came upon me in a moment i felt my unknown foe pressing me on the heart and on the brow and the jewel looked like a fetter on my wrist that was going to chain me up forever and just at that moment lord harriet's hand gently touched my bare arm and when he touched my arm i felt as though the snake were a live one and that it was cold and slimy and horrible i shook my arm free from the jewel in a moment and it fell clattering upon the table and i looked at lord harriet i know i did it because aunt arabella sprang up from her seat dropped the altar-cloth on the floor and said something i looked at him as though he were a snake and i heard my own voice saying quite coldly and quietly thank you lord harriet i will not have your jewel i do not like snakes and then i walked out of the room but not before i saw him turn pale with fury and when i got to my bedroom i felt sorry because the jewel was so pretty and because i knew he would take it straight to the blonde person and i began to walk up and down in the twilight it would be all very well if i could have the bracelet without the giver but a girl can't accept handsome presents like that without being engaged and it would be all very well if i could be lord harriet's widow but there is such a dark place between and oh dear doctor i loathe that dark place so the seeing him day after day and never any more being able to escape until death comes i wonder why marriage is so hateful to me it is not to all girls for a few one or two have told me they were glad the others were indifferent or miserable or frightened or pious and resigned 
i think very few would be married if it were not for the flattery and triumph and the fuss of the wedding day and if there were anything else to do men play upon our vanity and that of course is prodigious i think sometimes that no girl would be married at all if there were anything else possible but of course there is not and all these thoughts have only come to me since that fatal bracelet evening i said many such things to myself then as i walked up and down the room but by and by the fury went out of my mind and the twilight gathered about me and i began to feel so strange i began to remember some of the things you had said only this time though they were yours they seemed to be coming back to me through my own heart you told me to work and to live simply i thought i really had been trying but to-night to-night as i walked about in the dusk it seemed as though it had been all by rote i felt like a shadow a shadow in a vain world i am so sick of shadows and then the unknown foe came to me and i felt my heart swelling and my brow throbbing and the tears rushed out of my eyes i stretched my hands about in the darkness feeling for something that i could not find my heart beat so i had a feeling of great trouble in my mind it was no use praying if you had prayed at aunt arabella's knee as a little child and by her side in church all through your young life you would never want to pray nor dream of doing it when trouble comes but after a time i sat down in the big armchair in the corner it began to grow dark and a moonbeam suddenly came and laid a long thin streak of light upon the carpet and up my dress and while i sat with my hands tight clasped on my knee my great idea came into my mind it was like an inspiration and i remembered you had told me to seize hold of an inspiration if ever i got one and to trust to it a voice out of my own heart said to me the world is vain go out of it you feel like a shadow step into the real you are sick of shams try vigorous work it seemed so simple when it was said and yet the being able to say it was like the clapping of thunder after a long still sultry day and i thought i would doctor i thought i would leave aunt arabella and all my finery and that i would go out alone into the workaday world and see what it is like i have no idea what it is like but i mean to see the having the inspiration to do it was the difficult thing the moment it got into my brain i made out a whole scheme quickly the scheme i will not impart even to you dear doctor but only the inspiration i am telling you that you may know a cruel fate has not befallen me but that i am where i have chosen to be as i sat in my armchair and made my plans i began to laugh i clapped my hands softly in the darkness it seemed so charming so new the best thing i had ever devised and the most startling 
all the society papers will talk harriet will rave and my aunt arabella will dear doctor it was just there that a cruel little thought came and tripped up my joy as it went dancing along the future path i had sketched for it supposing i asked myself supposing you can never 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 get rid of your aunt arabella supposing that when you were a little little child with heart as soft as the softest clay and limbs like unneeded dough and a mind like an unwritten page your aunt arabella wrote all over it and gave a twist to your heart and a turn to your limbs that you can never 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 get rid of supposing that hate and hate her as you may your aunt arabella has become a part of you which you can never throw off until all your body falls into decay perhaps not then perhaps when your soul flies away even it will carry your aunt arabella with it i thought of it until my heart went cold like a stone from terror i seemed to be like a creature coming to life for the first moment to find itself without choice of its own in a terrible labyrinth without chance of escape and there i sat down and wept and my unknown foe sat down and wept with me so many thoughts dear doctor had never come into my mind before it seems to me that when you have opened the way to one inspiration you cannot close the door before a host of unwished and uninvited followers have entered but what i thought only made me more determined i would go away lose myself hide and i wished there had been a pool of siloam somewhere into which i could have stepped down and got rid of the aunt arabella in me and washed myself clean of her and come out upon the other side just jessamine and no more how strange that here on my first venture into an independent life i should find myself so mixed and fictitious a creature that i knew not how to calculate upon myself but one thing doctor i am certain of i am going to do a good and useful thing and perhaps the world will know of it afterward and i shall be a leader a pioneer and others will follow me dear doctor i am going out like the apostles and the teachers of old to do good believe it of your little patient but oh promise promise me one thing don't tell aunt arabella even this one word she doesn't care in her heart of hearts what happens to me she has nothing but an ambition for me by means of which she herself would step up higher don't let her come and ferret me out your grateful and reformed jessamine halliday dr cornerstone finished the letter folded it up and placed it in his pocket and then he sighed tell aunt arabella said he 
i think i would bite my own tongue out first jessamine but oh my fairest among fair women that dip into the pool of siloam is as you surmise no easy business End of chapter 3